So thank you for coming and listening to me. I've uh, been, I live in Connemara now, so I uh, made the trip up here. And I've never been to any of these sort of festivals, so I don't know what to expect. But uh, it's like, for me, it's a little bit like walking back in time, I guess. All right, well, um, I will tell you a little bit about myself. I'm a Jungian therapist. I've been a therapist for like almost 30 years. I'm a grandmother now. I uh, used to work a lot in the area of childbirth and preparing women for birth. And then I worked as a therapist for um, people having difficult births and the trauma of that. Um, now I give a lot of talks because my work is a combination of depth psychology with spirituality to create healing. So it's not pure psychotherapy per se. I also encompass the spiritual aspect and I use a lot of poetry in my work. So anyway, um, after I wrote my last book, it came to me very much that we... Uh, we are all wanting to heal, but we, what we're missing all the time is that the way to heal ourselves is to find that connection with the divine. Okay, with the divine, the universe, our higher self, whatever way you want to describe it. Because um, we can go to therapy for years and go to counseling and keep telling our stories over and over and over again. But that doesn't guarantee that we're healed. Okay? Nothing will really happen until you allow this miracle in your heart, which is the miracle of love, acceptance, surrender. Now these sound like very sort of esoteric words, but in fact it's extremely simple. So I just want to start with um, these words. Um, these words by Mary Oliver. I, I uh, use poetry a lot in my work. Um, and uh, in her poem, Summer, she, part of what she says is, is really so interesting. She says, doesn't everything die at last and too soon? What is it that you want to do with your wild and precious life? Your wild and precious life. So we want to live our passion. We want to live authentically. But we need to somehow learn how uh, it is not a question of going outside of ourselves. It's a question of going within. All right? So what is passion? Well, passion is that flow of energy which connects us with all of life. And when we go with our passion, it's, it's without limitation. It's living the life we want to live without limitation. See, most of us, all of us, have belief systems deep inside us that come from our, you know, our formative life, uh, our early life, etc. And we, um, these belief systems will squash us down. So, okay, we have a dream. We have a dream, or we have a um, uh, a goal, okay, in life. So what happens? We can think about it, and we can say, "This is what I want to do. This is what I want to be," etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But then 
unless we raise our frequency to the level where we believe there are no limitations there, then we can easily get pulled down again. And this happens a lot. Um, it happens to us because, as I say, these belief systems are deeply entrenched in, in us. And um, many of us, of course, on our spiritual journey, we, we'll go to therapy or we'll learn a little bit more about ourselves. So one of the ways that we make this connection to the divine or to our let's say, our inner, our inner selves, is through relationships. So Natasha asked me to talk about love in the modern world. So I'm going to talk about relationships in that context as well. Are you with me at the, so far? Okay. Um, so when you think about soul relationships, a soul relationship, the definition of a soul relationship it's not necessarily romantic. It's a relationship that helps you grow. Do you understand? A relationship that helps you grow. Maybe a negative experience that you'd experience as negative at the time. You may be madly in love with someone and he's your soulmate or she's your soulmate or you think they are and uh, it doesn't last and the relationship breaks up. What happens? Heartbreak. But heartbreak may be the very thing you need to expand your heart and to grow your soul. Does that make sense? It's like dealing with the uh, challenges of heartbreak, for example, or of being abandoned, or of being left, or not loved as we perceive it. That in itself is a soul task to overcome that. Do you, do you know what I mean? So, in a way, a soul relationship, the other person acts as a mirror for you, holds up the mirror of, to help you learn more about yourself. And so, you get all different types of, of uh, situations where this can happen. It's not necessarily a romantic relationship. As I said, you can have a soulmate relationship with what we could call, Carolyn Miss calls, the um, noble adversary. Somebody that gives you grief. Somebody that is in your life and causes problems for you. Somebody you don't want in your life, but that is your, your that is the hand you've been dealt perhaps it's a, a, a somebody that you have to care for and therefore it limits your freedom whatever but the point is that person is in your life for a reason and i came to this sort of way of working really through my experience as a therapist for so many years now but also my own life and understanding that nothing ever happens that is useless there is a meaning to these experiences and the the meaning and the the thing to take from it is growth growth and soul growth um, I uh, I believe that we um, come onto the planet 
um, we choose certain embodiments in line with our spiritual challenges. In other words, reincarnation and we come back and we there are certain things left unfinished in our soul, so our soul chooses to come back. In It will draw into our lives events and experiences that will help us grow. So in my own case, for example, I believe my task was to learn to deal with abandonment. Now, how would that play out? First, it played out in my birth, when I almost was like only a pound in weight or two pounds in weight, so very, very premature, and not um, life was not something I could count on, or bonding, or anything like that. So... That's maybe the first experience. The next one could be that you form a relationship or a marriage and that splits off. Again, the feeling of abandonment. Now, what's the central lesson of that? The lesson is, in the end, learning not to abandon oneself. Does that make sense? Because... Whilst we look outside of ourselves all the time for love, for uh, security, for uh, whatever it may be, we are bound to be disappointed. We are bound to be disappointed. Because we cannot control the other. So when we realize somehow that we have within us everything we need to heal, to love, everything, then we can heal this sort of fragment in the soul that we feel, we see, you know, nowadays we see this so much despite the fact that we have all these technological advances and everything else. Everything is geared towards the ego desires. I mean, why do people come to festivals like this? Why do people, um, you know, get drawn to going to workshops, spiritual work? Because that's nourishment for the soul as opposed to the ego. And we need that. We're starving of it. And in this country, in Ireland, we've had such a history of the patriarchal takeover of the spirituality in our own country that uh, not to mention everything that comes from there that uh, we're, we're you know needing to reconnect in our own way and whether that's by going to festivals going to hear people speak going to workshops going to healers everything else this is what, what's the primary aim to awaken us it's to awaken us to our soul, to our soul purpose, to the divine within us. There's all these policemen going up there now. I don't know what that means, but anyway, I suppose there's a lot of people here all the time. Um, yeah, so uh, when, I was be when I was asked to give this talk, I said, well, what, you know, what do people want? What do you want me to talk about? And she said, you know, love from uh, a soul perspective. So love from a soul perspective is about the connection with the divine. I mean, that's it. So whether we do it through relationship with another person or through um, going on a retreat or wh whatever way we uh, choose 
to find that it's within us, it's in our own heart. And you see, I've learned a long time ago that, especially when I was writing my last book, Love in a Time, that uh, our relationships, particularly intimate relationships, is one of the ways in which we um, go on that spiritual path, if you like, because through, through relating, we learn about ourselves. We could be repeating patterns over and over and over again until one day we realize, you know, what is this? Why am I choosing the same type of person over and again and the same type of experiences are happening? Why? Because we need to stop for a moment and look at what those belief systems or patterns are in us that we may not have healed. You know, it takes Jung, Carl Jung, who I'm a Jungian uh, uh, analyst, Carl Jung spoke about the inner marriage, which is basically called a royal marriage. It's, it's the union within of the two sides to us, masculine and feminine. So uh, what everybody seeks for spiritual and emotional well-being is um, a union. Is, is inner inner union. Do you understand what I mean? Is being at peace with oneself. See, when we're young, and most of you in the room are younger than me, so you would possibly be on a particular type of path. And we, our path in the beginning is very much about going out, formation of the ego, going out into the world, you know, becoming somebody. But when you reach sort of middle age and start to go even further, the task then is to learn about yourself so that you feel rounded within yourself by the time your life is, is you're ready to pass on. So you feel more whole. Now, my, um, my, father, my late father was 101 when he passed away, and I really felt... It was a kind of privilege to be with him to see how he had rounded out. You know, he went back into that sort of sleeping all the time stage, like being a baby. But there was no sense of, oh, I didn't do this and I'm not ready. And da -da 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 -da. you know, it was a sense that I've lived my life and that's it. So it's it's a task that we that everybody has to become more whole within. Am I clear on this? Is everything? Is everybody with me on it? Is there anything you want me to explain or anything else? Because I can do that as well. Um, I tend to not use notes, so I go off and talk about other stuff. Yes, so love, you see, love, I have a spiritual master who taught us that the heart chakra has two chambers let's say. There's the divine heart and the human heart. Anybody know this? Okay, so when we're struggling with the human side of the struggle, she taught us that you, you, you put that struggle, those difficult feelings, those emotions, that fear, whatever it is, into the, into the um, divine heart and let the divine heart dissolve it. So in other words, love is both human and divine. It's the divine part of us 
that wants to love. The human side obviously does too, but you see the, what happens there is, it's like in the words of Rumi, um, in the words of Rumi he says, uh, the minute I heard my first love story, I started looking for you, not knowing how blind that was. Lovers, I've, I need to have it in front of me. Lovers don't, uh, what is it? They, uh, it, it's within us. I've ruined it now. I've ruined my room. I've got the Got it. The minute I heard my first love story, I started looking for you, not knowing how blind that was. Lovers don't finally meet somewhere. They're in each other all along. Okay, so it's this primordial um, uh, joining together of the masculine and feminine, of the human and the, and the divine. In, in psychological context, you would talk about the conscious and the unconscious. So it's the marriage of the two within us. Okay? There's another, there's another um, beautiful uh, room. I've just come back from doing a workshop up in, uh, I, I did a workshop on healing the heart up in Dublin. Um, and uh, we really focused so much on uh, this whole thing of connecting within and just opening the heart. And this is a beautiful piece of, Beautiful words from Rumi again. I have phases and whole pages memorized, but nothing can be told of love. You must wait until you and I are living together. In the conversation we'll have then, be patient then. So this is Rumi speaking about the connection his connection with the beloved as he describes God for him or, or that um. so in this world that we live in it's quite a fragmented world and it's very much geared towards the desires of the ego and it's taken me a long time and it takes most people a long time, to understand the ego is very different to your soul or to your higher self. Does that make sense? Okay, why? Why is it different? Because the ego likes to stay in control. The ego doesn't like to, to lose control. So its job, in a way, is to separate you from your soul, from your higher um, purpose or from your your um, uh, your connection with something greater, the ego will say, "Well, what do you mean? You know, if you take that, if if you leave that job, which you incidentally hate, but you're doing it because you're going to get a good pension. I'm just plucking this, okay? You're going to get a good pension, and you're going to, um, uh, you know, achieve security, if you like." Your ego will say, yeah, well, you can't leave that. But on the other hand, your soul is being eaten away and you want to be a singer or you want to be a poet. So 
Oh yeah, but if I leave that, if you leave that job, you won't have any money. Ah yeah, but you know, so that the ego is always like this, goes on like that, and of course, uh, it's very difficult to uh, constantly brush the ego aside. And of course, in the Eastern traditions and religions, it's all about the subjugation of the ego. Now, in Jungian terms, it's a little different. The ego is the driver of our personality. Okay? The driver of our personality. But it's not us. We're more than that. Okay? The ego just drives our personality. The soul, or the higher self, is connected to our dreams, our desires, our aspirations. Why do you think poets, why do we love poetry, music, all of this? Because poets say it for us. They say what maybe we don't have the words to say. They talk about this connection. Music can do it as well. Um, again, in Jungian psychology, we have a, a term called a self-object. Okay, self isn't the ego. Self is when you go and listen. For me, it's classical music. If I listen to Beethoven or Mozart or, or, or some of the cello concertos, there, for me, that's a self-object. I connect with something greater than. And I'm sure you've all felt it, these moments, whether you've climbed a mountain, like down, looking down on Clue Bay, up in Kropatrick or any place like that, or walking by the sea, and you feel whole in yourself. It can be a moment like that. But these moments are precious, and we can all, well, we do all, achieve these moments. But it, it, it is really about learning that that world is as real as the one outside. So in my profession, again, I teach, I talk about um, the importance of dreams. Journaling might not be uh, unfamiliar to some of you. Writing a journal. What's so important about the dream? Anybody here write their dreams every day? Or even take account of their dreams? Well, your dream at night, this is the unconscious. This is your soul talking to you. It's giving you a different view of what's going on during the day. It's taking you into a different place. So why is it important to make a note of your dreams? It's important because it's your inner life. Do you understand? It's your inner life. See, outer life, inner life, it's all the same life. But the more, we, the more we don't connect with our inner life, the emptier we get. So um, when I was living in London years ago, um, I used to, as part of my work, I used to go into old people's homes, and, um, as they were called then, and... Um, um, you know, do exercises with the people who'd had stroke and all of this. But anyway, the reason I'm saying that is because it's a common fact, particularly amongst the male population, that when they give up work or retire, they have no role. They just sort of shrivel because there's no inner world to fall back on. Well, what will I do every day? 
if I don't go to work? Well, you could sit around and, you know, you could read, you could paint, you could have a garden. Ah, yeah, but, you know. So the inner world, somehow as women, it's made a little easier for us because archetypally the inner world is... um, you know, we have our family. The, the feminine principle is about uh, um, relationships, so we still continue, and the relationships are meaningful for us. But in the modern world, particularly in a patriarchal country, men are often uh, judged by their economic success or bank balance or job or whatever it might be so you know what do you do and of course oh well I, I you know I don't I don't do anything actually I just go fishing then what so it's 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 something that in the modern world we have to be very careful about and I do think that I mean two of my children were educated in the UK and one was educated here uh, partly in the UK and partly here and I do see that there are um, mo- there is movement towards a holistic type education but not enough uh, not enough really uh, because what happens is if you asked me a question and said what is the soul I'd say the soul is a presence you intuit as a child you intuit it you know it children everything I've ever learned about spirit and soul and the divine has been from babies mothers and babies but particularly the babies because they haven't long left the spirit world you understand they haven't long left the spirit world okay so they're still plugged in So then what happens is, through adaptation to society and the development of what we call in Jungian psychology the persona, that intuition and that sense gradually goes away. And then we come to, you know... Middle age, or not even middle age, you know, as you, people who start to want to connect with themselves again, we we try and come back to it. But it's all about making this inner connection to be one, or to be more whole in oneself. Excuse me. The way I work, I, I like to um, I like to work with you. So if you have any questions about particular type of, of anything I've said, or want to ask me, do do speak up, and I can relate back. Does anybody have any questions? Yeah. How do you navigate a relationship in the modern world? Consciously. Does that make sense? Consciously. Is that enough? By consciously, I mean aware of yourself, conscious relationships. So what might I be projecting onto my partner? Have I got a self-examination? Have I got a need to rescue my partner? Common in women, but not exclusively. Have I got a need to rescue my partner, to heal him? See, in Ireland, we have um, 
but not just in Ireland, loads of countries. Uh, we have a very good, we have a, we're very um, strong on Pu'er. Now, the Pu'er is the eternal boy. Okay, that's an archetype. So, Pu'er's men who, uh, they're very creative, very connected to their creativity, and can start beautiful projects and everything, but they can't be grounded. They don't want to make the commitment. And so the woman, I remember I was on a train going down to Cork ages ago now, when I used to teach down in Cork, maybe 25 years ago. And on the, the table opposite, there, there was um, about four young men and laughing away and um, then it was kind of obvious that one of them was going to get married soon. And then the phone rang, the mobile. And so it can't have been that long ago. Well, yeah, maybe 20 years. And um, he, he picked up, everybody said, oh, that's the ball and chain. You see, so the woman became identified with being the thing that ties you down. So... It's really, back to your question, it's really about relating consciously. What am I projecting? What in me is, you see, your partner is a mirror. Your partner is a mirror, so how do you negotiate that? You negotiate it by constantly, um, well, obviously not constantly, because it's boring if you're going to be picking at it the whole time. Uh, but you you hold up the, you, you, uh, ask yourself the questions. Does that make sense? What do you think? I feel that we're hiding in relationships, fulfilling each other a lot of the time in the world that we're living in. And that's why I've chosen not to be able. Now I am ready for it. And I was wondering. I feel more of a communion as a way of being with each other, in supporting each other, but not being there to be. So for example, you're a very electric source and you don't know how to ground, you find a woman to be very grounded and then you end up fulfilling each other for the rest of your days, so it's a very mortal way of being. Where I feel people that are very grounded can find their own life themselves and very light people can learn how to be grounded as well, so you can learn with each other together in supportive roles. So I would just see from your point of view, how is that possible now? And do you feel that maybe we need more than one partner over yes, time I to, to transform with, or maybe one partner is able to transformation that the other is able Exactly. I, I have always felt somehow, I mean, maybe because in my own life I've had a few partners and been divorced, etc. I've always felt that the human being is not designed to be in, a, in the one relationship till the end of their lives. But having said that, maybe that is the karma of some people. But yes, absolutely, I think we can totally hide in relationship. You see, um, I, I have spent time alone, periods of time alone, not necessarily by choice. And I, I realized the greatest learning for me was in those periods when I was alone. But the issue is, you come back to relationship and the consciousness that you've achieved in your time alone then is challenged. So the challenges start again. Uh, we're, we're, 
in a way, the work is always ongoing. And yes, we have within us these um, archetypes, like the inner child, the wounded child, the inner saboteur, the inner prostitute, the inner victim, all these. And so when two people get together, you know, it's, it's like this. So um, he's relating from his unconscious, she's relating from her unconscious, and the two complexes are going, well, you're, you know, a cold bitch. Well, you're never there, whatever it is. So the point is that theoretically, and yes, if, if we can navigate it with consciousness, um, it's about wholeness. She might be wanting to heal her father. He might be wanting to heal his mother or something like this. You know, it's, it's always, you see, you, you can, it's, it's a mystery, but it's, it's a wonderful mystery, really, because uh, we, it's very hard to evolve spiritually without healing your wounds. It really is. But how do you heal them? You heal them when, in a way, you go into the dark night. You go, you, 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 you engage with them. You engage with your unconscious, with your patterns. The other thing that's important is, and when, as again, when I was writing the love book, when I was writing the love book, this became very um, clear: is that we live out of stories. So if you want to know what you're living out of, is there a fairy story or a myth that really spoke to you as a child? That you kept wanting your family or your mother or whoever it was to repeat to you all the time. I remember in my case it was the little mermaid. Fascinated by the little mermaid. I mean there are many such tales. But that will give you a sense of the resonance. When there's a resonance with something, it gives you a sense of what your own inner world is like. Does that make sense? Now, what is The Little Mermaid about? I don't mean for you to tell me the tale, but it's, it's, it's about the message from The Little Mermaid is love is unavailable. Isn't it? Yes or no? She, she falls in love with the human prince and she's a mermaid and there you can see that it's all going to go to disaster because she's a mermaid and he's got legs so it's I mean as it unfolds she has to go she has to go to the sea witch who will give her human legs but in return she has to pay an awful price what is the price? the price is she loses her voice so think about that symbolically, what that means. To, to be loved, as I see it, as, as the little mermaid, to be loved, you have to give up your voice. In other words, you have to be passive, you have to be whatever it is. So there are many, many uh, stories um, which we may or may not relate to, but the ones that we do relate to will give us an idea about where we're at with all this. Uh, and also, um, it's very useful uh, to, as a simple exercise, to look at your mother, to look at your father, and then to look at how they relate together, how you experience them relating together. Hello. So, 
um, then it gives you an idea of what you see when we're little, when we're small, we uh, we are totally influenced by our caregivers. So what they what they do and what they teach you, but what they do, you learn from that. So uh, it's only really on uh, maturity that you begin to grapple with some of these things. Like, for example, again, in Jungian psychology, we have a term called the persona. Now, that means literally the mask you wear in life or your social role or your outer role, okay? Um, such as you don't, you know, this is how you behave in public. Uh, you don't go go out in your pajamas or whatever it might be. It's it's your role, okay? But the, what is the opposite side of the persona? The other side of the persona is the shadow, and you all know what the shadow is, don't you? Okay. The shadow is the dark. It's the unknown part of you. It's uh, everything that you suppress that and that you haven't actualized yet. Okay, It contains your latent possibilities, your latent... For example, if you grow up in a family of doctors, let's say, or your mother was a doctor, your father was a doctor, and the expectation was you would go into the medical profession as a nurse or in some doctor, whatever. You might go along that path because you're adapting. You're adapting and you want to please your parents and you want to, you know, you have learned that this is what um, will give you a job or whatever else. But in your shadow maybe all the things that you could be, okay, that you could be and that you haven't yet given life to. Now, how does that come back to us, to go back to love and the soul? How might it come back to us? How might we find it? Maybe like a chance meeting to kind of shake you into kind of like reminding you, oh, that's... Chance meeting? Relationship sometime. You might fall in love with the poet that you really are inside, but you project it outwardly. As in... As in... To, y- to a performer that you admire? Yeah, or, or a person that you, you love or fall in love with who actually is working with, with that side of... is creative or is writing poetry. You see? Um, because we... And I truly believe this. We are... We, we are always drawn to what we need. Now, th- you could sort of get twitchy about that and say, well, does this mean that you know, when bad experiences happen or negative experiences happen or painful experiences happen, that um, you know, uh, we, we call them in? You could say that, but the point is that ultimately it's for your soul growth. This is the whole point. It's to make you more whole. If we consistently try and run away all the time, it'll never work. Jung used to always say what we don't make conscious in our life comes to us as fate. F-A-T-E, fate. So whether it's um, uh, a sickness or, or, 
or something, something that or, or people that leave us or some experience like that. So, uh, yeah, so, so, so that was the end of that. So when it comes to archetypes, do you feel that we're living out our archetype as a mission we have here? Both. The, the archetype, if, if you, everybody, the archetypes don't have a, a particular form per se, like the archetype of the mother or the archetype of the poet or something like that. But if, if, if you're making a connection with that particular archetype, it means that it has the potential to heal you, but you have to engage with it. Now, the energy... When, you know when something has reached that stage, when the energy begins to change. Okay, the energy, the numinous energy changes when you have learned that particular lesson. Embodying the archetype is not a good idea. If you embody, I presume you mean, if you embody the archetype, it means um, it's dangerous because then you lose, you become one with the archetype and you've lost your individual identity. An example of that are some of the great poets and musicians and other people who became lost in the unconscious. Some of the romantics went that way. Sylvia Plath went that way. She was eaten by the archetype of the mother. She put it, what did she do? She put her head in the oven. What more, what more symbolic can you get of a womb? Yes? She had tremendous, she was a beautiful poet. She wrote, her poetry is exquisite around the mother. But she had such a difficult relationship negotiating the mother complex, if you like, and her relationship with her mother, that she got swallowed by the archetype. So connecting with it, learning about it, but remaining your own, you know, strong, grounded, if you see what I mean, and not being swallowed by the archetype. Does that make sense? Or is it too obtuse? Okay. Any other questions? Okay, I'll give you I'll give you a few little tips on that. One is when you do you do any meditation? Okay. When you're connected with yourself then Oh, the question was he was asking about his dreams and he doesn't quite remember them and and how to is that right? Yeah, and just just going on further through what was said about him had it documented or diary like that go from there. Okay. So 
um, you can ask for a dream. If you are struggling with a situation, ask for a dream. Go within, ask for a dream, one. Number two, keep a journal, notebook next to your bed because usually dreams will go, you see. So it's important to note them the minute you wake up. Don't wait. If you wait, it can be diluted. Now, there are dreams that are so intense and so um, um, large, if you like, or so, have so much energy that you can remember them for ages. I remember having one and I can still smell the paint of that dream. And you, you see? So, and then there are others that go. But if you ask for a dream, if you have given the intention of connecting, that's all important, then keeping the notebook there. Important to also note the emotion in the dream, i.e., was I, uh, like, is this really, uh, was I in bits, is this a very uh, difficult dream, what was it, was I sad, was it an awful nightmare, or was I just observing it? Because, I'll tell you why you need the emotion. You need the emotion so that you understand the ego's position on this. For example, I'll give you an example. If you dream, I had somebody used to come in to see me and she was um, totally idealistic about her mother. Oh, I had a wonderful mother, she was brilliant and da da da, and you know, never ending, always very supportive, da 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 da, all this. Then she came in one day in a desperate state because she'd had a dream that her mother was a prostitute and a drunk. Okay. Why would she have that dream? It was to bring balance. Dreams are always to bring about balance in your life. Right? So it was to bring balance. It was really saying to her, listen, you're idealizing here. Your mother is actually just human. Okay? Do you understand that? So there's a function to dreams. Dreams are to come to bring balance in your life. So then by looking at the emotion, you know what you still consciously feel about that situation. Uh, the other thing that can happen is that we dream of the same sort of, the same people that come up periodically in our lives. So if you are dreaming of somebody from your past and it's a common thing that you dream about them, the important thing there is that your soul is saying, listen, this was you. Maybe it was dreaming about somebody you had a relationship with and that meant something. Then this was you then. So we're showing you what parts of you are still connected that need healing. It can be good and it can be just... Nothing is bad with dreams. Dreams are, are there to bring about this wholeness within. That's why engaging with them is important and not considering them rubbish. It's the inner life. And you can get great wisdom from your dreams as well. Does that answer the question? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Particularly in your quiet moments, if you can sit and meditate or breathe. Or if you have a particular situation, I want help here. I need help here. 
And now you might not get the dream you want. You might get a totally different dream, but that doesn't matter. Write them down. I have dream books going back when I, in our training, you have to go to analysis. You have to go to therapy for at least twice a year for years. So I have books going back to when I was 30 years old. I still have the books. But sometimes I, and I have a dream journal, and sometimes I go back over my dream journal and I say, oh, wow, God, I had that dream. And you can actually see a pattern. You can see your life in the dreams. Because sometimes you get a dream before something. Do you understand? So your life is, is, is going on inside through the dream. Sorry. Soul tasks. Yeah, uh, but in what context? By soul task. Um, I, I think that uh, soul task, well, I, was prob I may have said it in, in relation to relationships, uh, that the task was to get to know yourself better. And often that's done in relationships. Um, it's a, it's, a t it's a soul task, as in your partner, good or bad for you, may be pointing out blocks in you that need healing or whatever and, and or um, help you acquire certain spiritual gifts such as patience, forgiveness. Forgiveness is a huge thing. Okay, thank you. Forgiveness, um, humility. You know, when you've been taken to the ground and all the world you know is gone from you, every certainty you've had is gone, no matter what the reason may be, you have to start again. And then you say to yourself, right, I need to start again here. There's a new reality, a different reality that's wanting to come through. So the soul tasks are really engaging with... Uh, whatever comes up in that particular situation, if, if it's if it's to do with relationship or um, life events, because in general, what we need, what we're all looking for, apart from this connection, is to be more whole within ourselves. So, for me, for example, the the big thing for me, the sole task for me, was patience. I'm not good with patience, and I'm trying to get better. So, um, but you see, you see the word I used: trying to get better. Two things about this. Yes, yes, I know. Thank you so much. Um, sometimes the ego is in the service of self-denigration. Do you understand? Is in the service of our shadow. Is in the service of telling us we're not good enough. Because ultimately, perhaps we don't feel someone, if we love somebody and that person doesn't love us back or that person left us or whatever else, we think, well, what did I do wrong? What is it, what is it about me? It's sort of a sense of a lack of self-worth. Uh, recently, I've been doing a lot of work on healing the heart um, in the workshops I've been running and uh, work around forgiveness. And in this country, in the religious tradition, uh, uh, as it's come through to us, 
are bad people. Have you ever seen a, a baby, I mean, that has sin? We're told we have to um, be cleansed of original sin. So what does that mean for us? It means that we can spend the rest of our lives trying to love ourselves and feel that we really are uh, beautiful divine beings and though we are taught you have to forgive others as you would forgive yourself this came out hugely in the last book because I realized that the biggest obstacle was not being able to forgive oneself we can be really hard on ourselves I've got probably gone off the point now anyway I have to stop in about five minutes really, no, not really but I think people can do that um, well I don't think I can answer that in any um, in any sort of uh, I, I suppose my instinct about it is that that's conscious lucid dreaming you're conscious aren't you so you're using your ego as opposed to allowing something to come in. Am I right? Hmm? Um, there's no good or bad, but you're not going to. You're only. You're still. You're still working with the ego in general. Uh, you have to, you know, be a bit, be aware that your ego. You could be saying to yourself, "I want to have a dream about this, that, and the other," and. Um, you, uh, you're controlling it. Your ego is controlling it. You see, uh, we, you want to get to the point where you, you feel safe just lying back and let the sea hold you. Connecting with life within as opposed to putting it out there, what I want to dream about. But I could be answering that, talking to you. You probably know a lot more about lucid dreaming than I do. Because I don't, in general, that's not how I work with dreams. It's, it's more um, connecting in with what your soul wants to tell you. And this is one of the ways, is through dreams. It's also through relationships, through things in your life, where you begin to look at what did I learn from that experience? That's the bottom line. What did I learn from this experience because that gives it back to you so you don't feel empty it comes back to you I learned this I learned that I did that once on the on the drive home from Dublin to Connemara I went through my ex-husband and a couple of relationships and I said what did I learn in each of those relationships and by the end of the journey I felt a lot better about it all so it was a pleasure to talk to you I wanted to read more poetry but I don't want to interrupt the whole flow and I think I have to stop now anyway so thank you for coming My name is Benique Moje. My website is www.soul-connections.com. I have a few little brochures if you want them. Thank you.
I know Thank it you may have looked like I was distracted, but I was actually taking notes on my, on my phone. And How do I stop?